so interestingly tonight we're going to start with a little bit of a halacha exploration, right, that is brought down by Rabbi Agoto and learned much from the Tolna Rebbe. And then it shifts from the halacha into seeing how it opens our eyes about the very nature of the mitzvah of Shofar and Rosh Hashanah and Am Yisrael's role in the world, really. So let's start with this. The, um, the Rambam writes that... Uh, oh, isn't this Ansel from Scotland? Welcome. Um, the Rambam writes that a person who took a stolen Shofar and blew the proper sounds from it, is Yotze, fulfilled their obligation. She'ena mitzvah ela bishmias hakol. Okay, the Rambam is telling us here that the mitzvah is only in hearing that sound that comes out. Now this is different than a lulav which is stolen, a matzah which is stolen, or in those cases, you would not be Yotze, you would not fulfill your obligation if it's stolen. So the Rambam explained that it's only the mitzvah with the shmiya. So therefore, what it means is the following. The shofar is an interesting thing. Unlike the lulav and unlike the matzah, the shofar isn't what's called an object of mitzvah, but it's an enabler of the mitzvah. Okay? So that is the big difference between them. And we find it in the bracha. We make the bracha lishmoa kol shofar, right? To hear the sound of the shofar, not litkoa b'shofar, not to blow in the shofar. So um, this is the main part. In fact, if somebody blew the shofar and had earplugs in and didn't hear, the halacha is that he's not yotze. He didn't fulfill his obligation because the main thing is to listen. Now this brings us to a fascinating question. In the Gemara, it talks about something fancy someone did to the shofar. If you covered the mouth hole of the shofar with gold, okay, you wanted to have that. So we say that it's puzzle if it's where your mouth meets the shofar. If it's on another part of the shofar, it's kosher. Right? Again, the Gemara goes into whether it changes the sound or not of things. Now, the Svasemis writes, he says that many poskim write in the name of the Ramban, that the reason that it's no good is because it's a chatzitza. It divides between your mouth and the shofar. You are not really blowing the shofar. There's this gold in between that you're blowing, like and it goes. Correct, correct. You've turned that a bit into the trumpet. Now, the question this Vasemes asks is that in Masech Sukkah, in talking about different decorations on a lulav, if you wrap some gold thread, oh, if you wrap some gold thread around your lulav and you're holding your lulav, is that a chatzitza? Is that a division when it says ulakachtem? You're supposed to take your lulav, but here you're really taking a lulav wrapped in gold. So the answer is, they say, kol Anything that comes to make something beautiful doesn't, isn't viewed as a separation between you and it. It becomes bottle, becomes part and parcel of the lulav. You are holding the lulav because it's a dressed up lulav. It's not a lulav with a separation of gold. Okay, so therefore the question is, why would it be a problem here with the shofar, right? If somebody dressed up the mouthpiece of his shofar by putting gold on it, why don't we use that same principle 
So this the Talna Rebbe said that it could be explained with what the Rambam said. That the shofar itself is not a chefza of mitzvah. It's not an object of mitzvah, like other mitzvahs. And therefore, there really is no place, no obligation, so to speak, to decorate it. Okay? Decoration of a mitzvah is actually in itself a form of mitzvah. Zekeli va'anvehu, right? Esnoi lefon of b'mitzvahs. I will make my mitzvahs beautiful, right? A nice sukkah, a nice talis, a nice... Um, lulav, all these things. Now it is true that the Gemara brings shofar in that list as well, but the Rambam leaves it out, and others write that it's probably based on his opinion here, right? That the shofar itself is simply a means of getting the sound, which is the mitzvah. So therefore, the gold really is a separation, which is there. We cannot say that it's a decoration of a mitzvah because the shofar itself is not the mitzvah. Okay, so... Um, in fact, we find that Jews don't usually decorate shofars that much. You're able to, there were some that you engrave some letters on it or things like that, but we don't, right? The, the, um, the Tzvasemis points out that the very language in the Brisa, Tzipozov, it sounds like it wasn't a shofar mitzupezov, it wasn't a shofar, a gold decorated shofar. It sounds bidievet, after the fact, some guy, for whatever reason, happened to put gold on the mouthpiece. Now what is the halacha? But we don't do that type of thing. And if you go out and you look there and you see that we don't do that type of thing. Um, there was a rav named Rechaim Volkin, just passed away a while ago. He's the mashgiach of the yeshiva Teres Yisrael in Beit Vigan. So the Rebbe brings down his beautiful he'ora on the posuk that says, Yom Trua Yelachem. Okay, one of the names for Rosh Hashanah is Yom Trua. Now, if we look at Pesach, it's Chag Hamatzas. If you look at Sukkos, it's Chag Hasukkos. Speaking about the object of the mitzvah. Here, this is not Chag Hashofar, it's Yom Trua. So Rav Vulcan said that's actually showing us the exact same principle, that it's not the item itself, it's the sound. It's that coal that comes out that we're focusing on. So that's the halachic lead into the lesson that we want to learn from this. What is going on with the sound that we're hearing, this lishma kol shofar that has to be? Why is it that the item that produces the sound isn't itself that thing of mitzvah, but simply something that enables us to hear that sound. Now, many Sfarim bring down from the Zohar Kodesh, the Zohar Kodesh says in many places that on Rosh Hashanah, the name of the game is to be part of everyone, part and parcel, not to stand on your own on Rosh Hashanah. For example, it says in Parshas Noach, right, I'll translate it somewhat the Aramaic, the famous one where Elisha asked the Isha Hashunamis, he said, Would you like me to, you know, lobby with the king for anything for you? I, I'm able to speak to the king. And she answered, I dwell among my people. So the Zara Kodesh says that that took place on Rosh Hashanah. And the question was, 
about the Melech, about the actual king. The Navi asked, would you like me to put you forward, to get you attention from the king of the world, so to speak, HaKadosh Baruch Hu? And she said, no. I don't want to be looked at, aside from in the context of everyone else. Says someone who joins up together with everyone will not be judged unfavorably. That's why she said that. Now this is not simply a tactic, right? In other words, sometimes if a person doesn't want to get the teacher's you know, wrath, so you just go and crowd up with the other students or something like that, that's not what she's saying. What she's saying is that the essence of the day has to do not with, it does have to do with you as an individual, but with you as an individual in the context of the whole. Right? That's what it says in the Mishnah there, the Kulan Ovim Lefon of Kivnei Moron. Everyone goes before Hashem and Rosh Hashanah, like, let's take one of the images that's brought, like sheep as they're being counted from Meiser, going through the narrow opening in the corral, each one is being counted. But as each individual is viewed, he's viewed in the context of everyone. The Zohar Kodesh in Parshas Vayechi says that the tefillah of a yochid, the tefillah of an individual, so then HaKadosh Baruch Hu looks at this person, what this person has done, what his merits are, what his negatives are. But if it's the tefillah of Rabim, it's the tefillah of the many, even if they aren't tzaddikim, all those tefillahs enter before Hashem, and He doesn't look at their sins. Therefore, He says, you have to daven with the tzibur because HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't reject the um, tefillah of the tzibur, even if its kavona was not that admirable. Another the Zara Kodesh in Parshas Bo, right? It says that even a person who is worthy, let's say you're really good. You were really good this year. You were top of the tzaddik charts. So you think, okay, you know, this year I don't need to be together with all the riffraff. I present myself to HaKadosh Baruch. I said, it's me, your chosen one. I was at the top of the list this year. I'd like to have a one-on-one. Bad move. He says, If he mentions himself, presents himself separately, he will be judged first before everyone else. Therefore, a person should never separate from Klal Yisrael because the rachmim of Hashem, the mercy of Hashem, is constantly on Klal Yisrael. Okay, so this is the picture of our mindset on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, it's very difficult because the survival instinct makes us worry about ourselves. What's going to be with me? Right, the famous, uh, different versions of it. Mayor of Premishlan said that, how does a Jew daven on Rosh Hashanah? kesef, ten, kesef, kesef. Right, money. Right? Underneath all the beautiful poems we're reading there, a person said, I want money. But he fixed it up. He said, but if you... Scrape away at that money. What do you find underneath it? Torah. He says, why does a Jew want money? He wants to be able to lead a Jewish life that costs a lot of money. He wants to educate his family. He wants to be part of the community and support the things. That's what's behind there. 
But it's difficult, right, when a person has their individual things. So a person is supposed to view themselves always as part of and in context of the whole. Again, the Rambam in Hilchos Tshuva says one of the things that a person doesn't have a chelik in olam haba is for um, separating from Klal Yisrael. That means that he doesn't feel pain when they're in trouble. He doesn't join them in their prayers. He doesn't do these things. So what that basically means is a person right, who really did a lot of mitzvahs and learned a lot of Torah, but when he comes up to reception in the next world and he says, um, where's my room? Right, I was the holiest person in the world. And the Malach is looking on the computer and can't find it. He says, I must be like with the others. I must be with David HaMelech. I was the best of the best. He says, do you have your Klal Yisrael membership number? He said, what's that? So he closes the laptop. He says, sorry, members only. Meaning there is no such concept as, as me alone by myself, only in the context of everyone else. So this brings us to the shofar. The shofar is now a fascinating thing. Perhaps a, a little bit cynically, the Talmud Rebbe pointed out that if the shofar was a chefz of mitzvah, don't ask what kind of competition there would be in the world right, trying to show off the most beautiful and beautifully decorated shofar. 18-carat gold-plated shofars with diamonds and rubies and all these kind of things. That would separate us. That would separate people. Here, your shofar makes no difference. And Chazal even say that all the kolos are kosher in the shofar. It's true. Some come out a little squeakier. Some come out a little hoarser. But as long as the appropriate length of sound comes out, they're all kosher. What's really happening is that we're all hearing the same sound. The sound of the shofar is... Rav Moshe Shapira says that it's, there are certain sounds that Chazal say go throughout the entire world. He says that the sound of the neshama when it enters this world is the sound of the neshama when it leaves this world. The neshama doesn't speak in words. It can either cry out in joy or cry out in pain. It's above the limitations of the, words, the world of words. And that sound, Chazal described it as being heard throughout the world, is because it's in all of us. That same sound is in all of us, and that's the sound that resonates when we hear the kol shofar. That kol shofar is the sound, the voice of the neshama, the voice of what is above and what is inside the world and ourselves. And that's why it's so powerful. And that's why it really unites us, because we're all hearing the same thing. Right, we know that one of the reasons brought for the tekiyas that we do before, right, the Musaf Shmonesri, tekiyas de Miyushav, is kedele arbe vesasatan, to mix up the satan. So one explanation is because the satan's going to get all shaken up because he's going to think, tekabe shofar gadol, uh-oh, right, all the prophecies say that a great shofar is going to sound and that's going to be the end of me, right? So he gets all messed up and he can't do his prosecutions. Now, it's asked, he's a pretty clever being, the Eitzahar. You would think after a few thousand years he would calm down and realize that Jews blow the shofar at Rosh Hashanah. That doesn't necessarily mean that Mashiach is here and he's over because that hasn't been the way it's been for thousands of years. So one answer which is brought is, it really is that sound of Mashiach. That is what he's hearing. It's here every year. That is the shofar that he hears. That is the shofar that's inside of us. That's our shofar every time. And it is frightening to him because the true 
future essence of the world is revealed on that day. And we connect to it. And that's why it's a very frightening type of thing. Okay, so this is the world of the shofar which connects us and enables us to be part of the tzibur. Now, we shouldn't think... We have a picture in our heads sometime of people who work with the community. Sometimes they're called askonim, right? People, you know, run organizations, lead things in the community. We call them oskim b'tzorchei tzibur. Now, in Pirkei Yovos, it says a powerful thing about people who work with the tzibur. Right, it says that if you're going to be involved with the tzibur, you should be involved for the sake of heaven. For the merits of the forefathers of the tzibur helped them. And the righteousness of the tzibur of Am Yisrael is eternal. So I heard from Rabbi and David Shlita, he asked once, he said, how many people do you have to work with to be considered Osekim tzibur? Do you need a minion? Do you need 60,000? How how many people? He said it can be even one. If you're dealing with that person, not just as your friend or your neighbor or somebody who's there, but as part of that tzibur that goes from Avram Avinu to the end of time. That is an osik b'tzarche tzibur. That is a person who is connected to and plugged in Everyone, I'll try. I've been trying to remember different things I heard. Uh, for a few years, I was able to be somewhat of Ben Bias by Rabban Schechter. That's all. It was just Nifter. And um, there was one time on a visit back to America, I visited him, and I was getting a little bit burnt out in life. And I told him, I said, when I was young, I used to be so idealistic, and I cared about issues, and I thought about doing things and changing things. And now I really just want to, you know, kind of pay my bills and take care of my family, and you know, make it through. I feel so tsumtsam, I feel so, so limited, so small-minded. And he asked me, he said, is there anybody you take care of? Is there anybody, a person, not in your immediate family, that you take care of, that you care for? And I said, yes. And he said, then you're not tsumtsam. Then you're not limited. It doesn't have to be many, it doesn't have to be big. It's the idea of connecting with others that are part of something bigger and all of these things. Now... Let's take it a bit further. Just like we're not supposed to think just of me, myself, on Rosh Hashanah, but I think of myself as part of not only the community that exists during these years now, but all of Jewish history, everything that was and everything that will be. And the shofar reminds us of that. We're also not just supposed to think about the Jewish people. And this is something that I do like to remind people sometime that there's a misimpression that Jews only care about Jews and everybody else can go to what they call H-E double hockey sticks for those who understand. Okay, that this is not the way we're meant to look at it, right? It's there, it seeps in sociologically. You can understand why people who suffered anti-Semitism too much really don't spend a lot of time worrying about other nations that oftentimes have been persecuting us at one point or another. Nonetheless, right, it even slips in, there's even like a joke, they, they tell an old Jewish man is on his deathbed, and he asks his wife, he says, Sarah, she says, what, what, Moshe, Go, call the priest, he says, Moshe, what do you want a priest for, you've been a good Jew, he says, no, I want to convert to Christianity, Moshe, why, 
So the punchline's in Yiddish. Better a guy should die. Right? In other words, that, 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 type of, uh, that type of joke, right, which you see coming sociologically, but it's not legitimate. It's not legitimate uh, to Torah, and the, nothing like Rosh Hashanah makes that so clear. If you look at the piyutim that we say, we're talking about how Am Yisrael doing what they're supposed to do is going to bring all of our... All of creation, every nation and every creation to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu through us. And the Chidush Yarim, the grandfather of is the first Ger Rebbe, so he had an interesting Loshan. He said that on Rosh Hashanah, you have to be tov ayin, you have to have a good eye, even towards the nations. Meaning, Am Yisrael on Rosh Hashanah somewhat stand in their true custodial role for the entire world. What's happening on Rosh Hashanah? Why is there judgment on Rosh Hashanah? So as far as I'm explaining, this the, the Mari Naim explains, every time Shefa, what's called Shefa, abundance, you can call it a flow of giving, comes from above into this world, it starts at a very high spiritual source, and then it goes through a process of, of tzimtzum, of, of contraction and materialization, until it becomes something we can interact with in our physical world. In other words, the sandwich I had for lunch today started off as a spiritual emanation, but spiritual emanation doesn't feed your tummy, so it became contracted into this sandwich that I was able to have. Now, the process of contraction, and again, I'm using some terms that I don't fully understand, but it will have its purpose, comes from the world of what's called gvura or din, Okay, judgment limits, defines. Gevura contracts things. Okay, this is, the Ramban says, the mode of ahava is expansive, reaching out. Yira, which is gevura in din, is holding back the Kavad Shemayim. So on Rosh Hashanah, the Shefa for the entire year is being sent. Now, as it enters a din process, every din has in it what's called mekatrigim. Every din has prosecutors. As this shefa is coming and being contracted to serve our needs, there's a force in the world that protests. Why should they get it? How should they get it? Why do they deserve it? This is happening in the background on Rosh Hashanah. But what we do see is, is that Rosh Hashanah is where HaKadosh Baruch Hu is sending the shefa of life for the entire next world. We, we can't imagine it. It can't be evaluated in terms of money, of billions upon trillions of dollars, if you think of the life and the support for absolutely everything that exists and everything that runs, all of that is happening. Now you say, oh, well, but most of the world isn't aware of that and doesn't care about that. Correct. That's our position, is to bring that shefa into the world. It comes just as the shefa, as it's supposed to, would come to Eretz Yisrael and go out to the, the whole rest of the world. It comes to us, the Jewish people, and then we're like the distributor that distributes it throughout the world. And not just even to nations, but to every creature, right? Even for the animals, right? A person is supposed to have the Tiferes Shlomo uses such a lotion. He says, you're supposed to have Rachmonus Afal Behemus and Achayus Lispalalalem. You should be davening that the chimpanzees and uh, duck-billed platypuses or whatever your favorite animals are, or even your not favorite animals, should all do well in this coming year because the shefa is coming in for them as well.
It's a fascinating thing. I, I, I just looked recently. Rav Moshe Shapiro Zetzal once mentioned that if you want to see something to help you understand the Jewish world of shechita, of kosher slaughtering, he said that the Mashgiach de Lomje Yeshiva, back in Europe, Rav Moshe Rosenstein, wrote a little piece about it in the back of his books. So I got to glance at it a bit. I didn't get to go through it fully. But he said a fascinating thing. He said, in a Jewish community, right, setups are somewhat different now than they used to be, the two most honored people in the community would be number one, the Rav, number two, the Shochet. That was the way it was viewed. The Shochet was supposed to be a person who was very God-fearing, of very good character attributes, who was knowledgeable in Torah. That was the picture of a Shochet. He wasn't just some brute who could swing a knife. Now, that, in fact, is the way you picture, and that's somewhat always the reality of a person whose job is slaughtering animals in a slaughterhouse. And you expect that person, if he, even if he didn't start off like that, to become extremely callous to pain or suffering or blood or life or death or any of these things. Said Rav Rosenstein, the reason we choose such a person to be a shochet is because part of the shechita process is that he is supposed to feel mercy for whatever pain it is, and Jewish slaughter certainly minimizes the pain, for the pain of those animals that he's slaughtering. It's a fascinating thing. This picture of that sensitivity that's there, so on Rosh Hashanah, it's also there for the entire world, for absolutely everything in the world. So this is what's happening. It's something very big, it's something very universal. It doesn't make you disappear just because it's very big. It actually lets you appear in all of your glory. Just as Adam Marishan was created alone on that day, so too you stand on one hand alone, but on one hand as part of everything else. And part of doesn't just mean as a receiver. Part of means as a giver, as a distributor. So just a couple of last thoughts about the chauffeur to finish. The story... It probably does tie in. I'm not exactly sure how to tie it in, but it's a good story. We can tie it in as homework. There was somebody I knew. His name was Baruch Cooperman. He was fascinating. I could talk about him for quite a while, and I didn't even know enough. He um, lived in Russia under communist rule. Now, he was fortunate enough when he was young to catch the very end of the Hasidic Rebbe's who remained in Russia till almost the bitter end. And he, when he was young, he and his parents had a connection with the Ribnitzer Rebbe who was a very amazing person in so many ways. The Ribnitzer eventually escaped, and his parents passed away. And he was there. He was married. He had a wife and children. And he wanted to keep Torah and mitzvahs. Now, he didn't simply want to keep Torah and mitzvahs. He wanted to bring up his children keeping Torah and mitzvahs. This was virtually impossible in the Soviet Union at the time. Now, he was a chess master, by the end of his life he reached what was called grandmaster status, which, and in Russia, chess is like baseball is in America, like they really follow it, and he wrote a chess column in a newspaper. He, um, he was also a math teacher, but he played chess against the Russian government. He did clever things like when his first child was born, he went back to school to get certified in teaching special ed. When it was time for his child to go to school, he bribed a doctor to write a letter that this child needs special education, and he moved to a town that had no special education. 
He then told the Ministry of Education, my child needs special ed. There is no special ed teacher. I'm certified. I'm going to homeschool him. And he learned Torah with them. And uh, it, it was an amazing thing that he came out. Now, here was the story he told me about Rosh Hashanah. After he finally came out, he and his children, or um, he was called upon to help with the big waves of Soviet immigration that started coming out when the gates opened more. And Hayas, the Hebrew Immigration Aid Society, would often find them housing just as soon as they came out to other countries in Europe. So he was asked to go run the Rosh Hashanah davening and festivities in a place in Italy called Santa Mariana. I looked it up, a very beautiful town on the coast. They plunked a bunch of Russian Jews down in Santa Mariana. So he went there together with his son, who was also a chazan and a baltokea. And in the davening on Rosh Hashanah, the chauffeur blowing went very difficult. He had a very hard time, his son, getting out the uh, things. And he was an excellent baltokea. Afterwards, he said to his father, he says, I don't know what's happening. He says, I've been blowing all Elul. Smooth. Why would this happen? So his father said, I imagine that the following happens. He says, just like in any war, he says, the Yetzirah has his command center. He knows that Rosh Hashanah, very big decisions are going to be made. So he has all the displays on the wall, and he sees what's happening in Yerushalayim, and what's happening in Lakewood, and what's happening in Golders Green, and he's keeping his eye on all the shoals and the davening and trying to do what he can. And suddenly, like an alarm goes off, he says, what's that? And one of his assistants says, they blow the chauffeur in Santa Mariana. Santa Mariana? There's no Jews in Santa Mariana. The whole name is a Christian name. There's nothing there. He said, no, if you excuse me, a bunch of Russian Jews just landed there. He said, okay, but Russian Jews don't know anything. He says, I don't know what to tell you. They're blowing the chauffeur, and it's making big noise. He says, everybody to Santa Mariana, go stop it. He said, that's what he felt was happening. So this illustrates our picture. The chauffeur in Santa Mariana is the chauffeur in Yerushalayim, is the chauffeur in Bnei Brak, is the chauffeur that was centuries ago, is the chauffeur that will be, is that chauffeur that blows at the end of time. And it connects all of us. And we're connected to all of it. And that's how we have to step into Rosh Hashanah and to prepare to hear that chauffeur and to realize what we're listening to, to have it wake us up, not just for ourselves, not just for our community, but for the destiny of the entire world, as Amisur will bring it, hopefully, this year. Wishing everyone a Ksiva Chasimatova from the beautiful shul of Nerav Rom here in Yerushalayim.